I've been saying for the past number of years that the Dallas Cowboys, you can't get introduced to the team until you have a rap sheet. I like my team was the Emmett Smith, Troy Aikman, uh, Moose Johnson team. See, with the except uh, Moose Johnson, I admire as a person, but I mean Chicagoland guy. I mean, how can you not deal with someone like Walter Payton or some of the rest of the base? I mean, the '85 Bears were the greatest team on earth, not just because of their almost undefeated record for the season, but because all the people on there really gave a damn about the community. You know, Chicago teams, and I don't know if they've changed recently, but back in my day, the Chicago teams really gave back to the community. Neil, how is it now? Uh, you know, I don't follow sports at all, so I don't really know <laughs> okay. what the teams are like. Well, that's not a real Chicagoan, then. <laughs> okay, Neil, uh, what, what are the Cubs' chances this year? Slim and none. That's the one thing you can always But that's count the on. way you like it, right? Well, the Cubs never win. <laughs> it's like a universal constant? Yeah. If the Cubs won the World Series, you know, you know there'd be something wrong with the universe. Well, it's one of the signs of the apocalypse. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean... It's not that they're bad, it's just that, you know, that they're the lovable losers, right? Well, think about it. The year that we almost won the playoffs, not that long ago, I don't know of a Cubs fan, myself included, that doesn't disown that because of the cheating, thanks to Sammy Sosa. Really? Wow. He was juiced up. Totally. Wow. And that's part, pretty much... The main reason why we got that far was because he was juiced. And, yeah, our team doesn't win all the time. But you know what? At least we do it fairly. The Cubs are a team to be admired, not if they win or lose, but because of how they play the game. Yeah. I can see that. And, you know, it's, you know, I don't follow baseball ever since the 90s strike because, you know, the strike ruined it for me. And I was a child. And, you know. Well, I, I will say, I mean, I, the 90s strike. I saw the best game of baseball I ever saw in my life. It was the new stadium, uh, the ballpark in Arlington, was just built. It's really, it looks really nice to this day still. Yeah. it's, prob- it's, a, it's To me, it's the second best ballpark, pro ballpark I've ever seen. Really? Well, I mean, you can't beat Wrigley. But it was, an ex- it was one of the preseason games at, of the Rangers versus the Chicago Cubs. And, of course, I had to go. And it was the replacement teams. And these people played for the love of the game, not because they were getting a paycheck, but because they were out there. They were the Rangers. They were the Cubs. And they played their hearts out. And that was the best game I've ever seen in pro baseball. You know, the one thing I was really hoping, you know, when they were trying to figure out who was going to buy the Rangers, I really wanted Nolan Ryan to get enough money to do it. He did. Oh, good, good. Nolan Ryan, I mean, he... Last year, Nolan Ryan and a group of investors bought the Rangers. He is the president of the Rangers Ball Club. Well, maybe maybe it's going to become good again. That's why they're winning. That's why they went to the World Series last year, and that's why they're in the playoffs this year. Oh, good, good. It's yeah. I grew up I'm, with Nolan Ryan. That, you know, that's... I've always said to me one of the biggest tragedies in uh, sports history was there was an attempt to buy the Chicago Bears by a group of investors headed by Walter Payton. And unfortunately, his health problems caused him to back down, and he eventually passed from it. If Peyton had bought the Bears, I think we would have seen a major shift in the Bears in attitude. I remember an episode of Yogi Bear where the Yogi Bear played for the Bears. Yeah. <laughs> because it was the Bears versus the Giants, and he saw like a cartoon characterized version of what the game was going to be. Yep. He was like, how dare, how dare these Giants attack these poor defenseless Bears? You remember that one, Tom? Yep. He says with a sigh, but let's get started with G.I. Joe. 
The Webcast Beacon Network has been covering and promoting creativity and the creative process since 2007, starting with the Webcomic Beacon, a topical webcomics podcast with a jovial bunch of misfits like your local morning radio show. Also, the Webcomic Beacon Newscast recaps, reviews, and discussions of community and industry news relative to comic creators, especially of digital distribution. Also, the Tropecast, the ever-tangential discussion of literary and visual memes. And finally, Web Fiction World. Before webcomics, there was independent and self-published web-release written fiction and literature. Find this all at webcastbeacon.com. Be sure to grab a master RSS feed or master iTunes feed and not miss a thing. Welcome to Animation Aficionados. Uh, I am your host, Ben, and we're joined by my co-host, Eeeebeast Mr. Neal. Cobra! Retreat! Oh, that was awful. And we have with us Thomas Rebore. Crashing through the night comes a fearful cry. Cobra! 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 Okay, and uh, we have with us Eric of Exern. Who doesn't say, but yeah. <laughs> I was actually going to fit that in myself somewhere, but uh, Tom did a great job. And by the way, that movie, those first five minutes are awesome. I think they spent the entire budget on the opening of G.I. Joe the movie. <laughs> that was actually originally going to be the climax, by the way. Uh, we were talking about G.I. Joe, the uh, Sunbow production, the Sunbow Marvel production combo, uh, animated by Toei. Pretty much almost all of it. Uh I keep hearing that some of the episodes were done by, by ACOP, but I don't know which ones. The animation on the series was rather consistent yeah. for the first couple of seasons. It wasn't until the movie, uh, or as those of us who have seen it call it, The Shark. <laughs> <laughs> well, the, yeah. the, the show is actually, I think it's the longest-running Sunbow cartoon. The Marvel Sunbow uh, Union begins and ends with G.I. Joe, because... Before the series even began, there were two five-part episodes. It was The Mass Device and uh, The Revenge of Cobra. The Mass yeah. Device... The Weather Dominator. Yeah. Uh, aired in 1983. And then Revenge of Cobra was 1984. And then Season 1 was 1985. So it, G.I. Joe was on the air a long time. Yeah. And... Uh you know, I you know, as everybody knows, I was born in '83, so uh, I had I had exposure through reruns, and uh, I actually was gonna I was actually gonna follow up with we're gonna talk about that patriotic cartoon with uh, with the different ethnic uh, people in as different specialists called uh, Rambo uh, Soldier of Freedom, but I decided against it <laughs> because yeah, it, as funny as that would have been, you don't want to call too much attention to that Rambo cartoon. You don't want to call attention to any Rambo cartoon. My yeah. goodness. There was only one. <laughs> but, uh, back to G.I. Joe. Uh, Tom, if you would, could you give some history on the comics? On the comics. Uh, basically, at the same time that Marvel started getting into more licensed property, uh, they were doing Transformers and G.I. Joe at the same time, both Hasbro properties. Uh, G.I. Joe pretty much stuck to the comic, uh, to the storylines and create characters 
based off the description on the backs of the toys. So you had Duke, the sergeant who was in charge of the officers for some reason. Uh, you had Scarlet. You had Snake Eyes. I mean, you had all the, a lot of the characters there. Uh, but unlike the cartoon, they were able to get more into depth in some of the characters and the backgrounds of them because you had more time to do these things. It wasn't just half an hour weekly. It was a full comic series. The comic series was originally supposed to be a S.H.I.E.L.D. Uh, spin-off, wasn't it? Um, I don't think so. I don't think so. That, that's what Eric um, said that interests me on getting him on this show, because I wanted to see if he might have had a little nugget that nobody else knew about. That was Wikipedia, uh, actually. So, well, uh, yeah. <laughs> no, uh, let me look this up real quick. Um, I've got the article up in front of me. But then, of course, this is, like I said, Wikipedia. And, uh, you know, the, one of the biggest forces in the comics, the G.I. Joe comics, yep. was, of course, Larry Hama. And yep. uh, he was developing a new idea for a comic book called Fury Force, which would, he was hoping would be an ongoing series for Marvel Comics. Uh, the yep. original premise had the son of S.H.I.E.L.D. director Nick Fury, uh, I never knew Nick had a son, assembling a team of elite commandos to battle neo-Nazi terrorists, Hydra. Uh, Shooter approached Hama about the Joe project due to Hama's military background, and the Fury concept was adapted for the project. Right. Um, and uh, unlike unlike uh, the Transformers comics at the time, you didn't have these weird things like they didn't make uh, they didn't make a random Joe the leader for a while, like they made uh, Grimlock the leader in the in the Transformers comics. There's nothing quite like that. So, well, unlike the Transformers comics, GI Joe was its own separate continuity. Transformers did interact with the regular Marvel universe. Uh, at times, uh, most notably in the original miniseries, they had Spidey. That's true. I remember that. It's uh, in the black costume. Yeah, I remember that too. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> now, it was my understanding that uh, that Marvel had a big had a big hand in developing these characters well, in the first place? Not Marvel itself. Uh, the original toys were developed by Hasbro, but as time went on and GI Joe comic gained more popularity, Larry Hama did design a lot of the Joe, new Joe and Cobra characters. Mm. Whether or not he had a hand in designing Cobra Law, uh, I do not know, and uh, by God, I hope he didn't. Uh, Buzz, unfortunately, it, he, not by his own doing... Yeah, he kind of seeded that idea. What happened was, he said to the to the people in charge, he says, it's, it'll be a Shangri-La for Cobra. A Cobra Law, if you will, but we'll come up with a better name later, and some executive says, no, no, we like that. Yeah, yeah there are a lot of funny stories of Hasbro... Uh, Meddling, the, meddling at the wrong point. And Buzz is like, no, 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 no. Trust me, I'll come with something. G- give me like an hour. Give me five minutes. He's like, no, no, we want Cobra Law. And yeah, Hasbro was their own worst enemies at times. <laughs> and yeah. if you say if you say Cobra Law around Buzz Dixon, he will visibly cringe. <laughs> he will visibly cringe. Well, anybody who watched the movie will visibly cringe too. <laughs> yeah. Especially if you go Cobra, la 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 la. Pentor's air chariot. But uh, but to start off, uh, as you said, Marvel uh, Marvel Productions did have two mini series, two five episode series, one in eighty three and one eighty four of GI Joe. The first one being the Mass Device, where Cobra, this terrorist organization that wants to rule the world, creates a device which basically teleports things. G.I. Joe defeats it, uh, and the satellite that was being used explodes, breaks up into three parts that need to be rescued. One of which, I, I, I still want to know, okay, if you have a satellite that's exploded into three parts, which, okay, I'll, I'll take that one. How does one get into the inside of an ancient Aztec pyramid? 
<laughs> it bounced a lot. Yeah. And I love how it broke into like three like Lincoln log pieces. Didn't one of them didn't one of them like fall in like the Arctic or Antarctic and they had to like get in their snow gear? Or am I thinking yep. of the weather machine? Uh you're thinking of the weather machine. I may be thinking of the weather machine. Yeah, yeah I'm, I think we're getting I think we're getting our five part episodes mixed up. Yeah, uh, it was the weather machine, Palace of Doom, uh, where the Cobra and the Joes head for the Palace of Doom, an alleged cursed Aztec temple, to retrieve the first fragment, the Ion Correlator. Okay. What? Now, see, in my memory, just just to just to talk meta here, GI Joe is the first series that I remember as a kid watching where the treasure hunt thing was so front and center of almost every episode. (laughs) A lot of them were. And and did G.I. Joe sort of introduce, I mean, there's always been treasure hunt stories, but in children's cartoon, was this, did G.I. Joe sort of introduce that? Uh, I don't think it introduced it. I think there were other treasure hunt cartoons before then, but uh, one thing I remember is uh, any male that was a, was a child or adolescent that grew up watching G.I. Joe, remember one thing. The Baroness. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm sorry. I was always Scarlet or Lady J. Yeah. I well, you, even if you prefer one or the other, I, I, I personally <laughs> preferred CoverGirl, but come on, The Baroness. you got to admit, you know, it's even if you wouldn't choose her personally, you got to admit. The, the no. raven hair, the glasses. I'm going to disagree. I, I'm going to disagree. I think this is another Marianne Ginger sort of debate where everyone has their favorite. Uh, everyone, everyone loves Marianne. If you don't like love Marianne, you're the weird one. There was a, it was either a webcomic over on DeviantArt. Someone did a piece of art of two Cobra soldiers. And one of them's asking, oh, why'd you send up? The other one said, the Baroness. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> that's damn right. But uh, but no, uh, there, there were tons of really well-animated uh, Girls done by Toei in the series. Uh, like I said, my favorite was Cover Girl. Yeah. And well, I mean, just for those who don't know, Cover Girl, one of the Joes, uh, before she joined the military, was a model. So I could see why you'd go for Cover Girl. Well, I liked how you know she was a model, but then she then she had to be as much of a tough guy as the other Joes, and yeah. she did really well doing that. I enjoyed that. But I'm sorry. But unfortunately, she was one of the early characters, so she started to disappear and. Late season one and almost all of season two. Yeah. Oh, Cover Girl was later on. She yeah, was one really? of the other ones. Yeah. Oh. No, no. She you, was about the third press of uh, the new figures. You had Scarlet comes first. Then you yeah. had DJ. Well, of course yeah. Scarlet comes first. Yeah. Hmm. Then you had Cover Girl as the third generation of cheesecake added in, I suppose. <laughs> I'll have to go check that out. Then you went to Jinx. Yeah. Oh, Jinx, yeah. Okay. Oh, Jinx. She disappeared after the movie. <laughs> but, I, you know, I do like Scarlet as well, and the thing is this. In most continuities, more often than not, she does not end up with Duke. She ends up with... Well, it's in the cartoons versus the comics. In the cartoons, she ends up with Duke. I mean, I don't care if you're talking uh, the original G.I. Joe or if you're talking uh, G.I. Joe uh, Renegades, the new one, or the webisode series... Uh, I can't think of it. it was G.A. Joe... Resolute. Resolute. However, in the comics, there was always an on-again, off-again relationship between Scarlet and Snake Eyes. That's right. Snake Eyes. Snake Eyes. And they, do, they do hint at a relationship between... Uh, not a romantic one, but a relationship between Snake Eyes and Scarlet in the new uh, Renegades. Wasn't it more of like a mentorship, though? In Renegades, yes, but you can also see that 
it almost <laughs> looks like Snake Eyes from some of the body language, and this is great animation to me, where you can get body language going through, has more than just an interest in Scarlet as a student. Now, here's something that always bothered me. Has Snake Eyes' backstory ever been revealed? Because I can remember from the cartoon, they kept on hinting, oh, Snake Eyes has this great backstory, and it's really interesting. Well, you know what? In the comics, comics, they revealed a good bit of it. He was was basically one of the students as well as... He was a a part of the same dojo as uh, as Storm Shadow. The Amagashi, I'm probably mangling the name of it, Amagashi clan, uh, where it was led by the Hard Master and the Soft Master. Um, he was of the same one as Storm Shadow. Uh, eventually, he ended up going into the military. And remember, this was in the 80s. So Snake Eyes was one of the older members of the Joe team because he was severely injured in Vietnam. Yeah. Uh, his throat was damaged by a bullet. and uh, That's why he's mute. Named, named wow. him to the face. And that's wow. why he's always wearing the mask. Yeah. And, okay. That's sort of cool. <laughs> and uh, the, uh, the movie... Did a the, the shitty movie, not the animated movie. It, it, the animated movie was an okay movie. The shitty movie is the way in movie. The it, live action one. Yeah. Well, if it's the way in, it's already it's already cartoonish. But yeah. Well, I mean, when you have uh, it, to me, the lips on Snake Eyes face go along with bat nipples. That was p- pure Power Rangers. Yeah, I mean the classic Snake Eyes look with the the visor and the mask. That was more realistic. Yeah, and uh, live and uh, yeah, I'm gonna just sum up the movie in uh, one sentence. I was watching the movie with my friend Rob. There's one sentence. And yeah. no, and there's a comma there. And there was a scene at the very first ten minutes where they did slow motion with these helicopters being shot at, and I started laughing. And Rob turned to me and said, "Why are you laughing, Ben? This is serious shit going down." In That's the run-on sentence. See me after class. <laughs> <laughs> Well, let's just say that that ruined the viewing experience for me because I'm told if you view the movie and you're allowed to laugh at it, it's a lot better. Well, we'll get to the movie at another point. Uh, <laughs> That's true. I just wanted to put that right here. A lot of it, I mean, I was glad to see that they opened up because Transformers had one five-episode miniseries. G.I. Joe had the two, and I was glad to see the two miniseries because it did allow one storyline over a greater amount of time. I mean, it was basically two hours when watched from beginning to end, no commercials. G.I. Joe had a ton of uh, five-part episodes. They started both seasons with a with a five-part episode. One of my favorite memories of G.I. Joe is something I remember happening multiple times in multiple episodes. It probably didn't happen as often as it, it is in my memory, but the countdown timer counting down to one and the bomb being disarmed right at one. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, if you talk about tropes, G.I. Joe pretty much invented or, you know, popularized every... One of these tropes of, uh, of especially the timer, the countdown timer. Yeah, well, the countdown timer. My particular favorite GI Joe moment is the capturing of one of the heroes. In that, they to capture one of the heroes, you have like twenty Cobra so- soldiers jump on him at once, and that's always what you have to do. <laughs> I, I, I I just love that in, in the show. It was Didn't like, they do an episode where they brainwashed Duke to like attack children, and he like like uh, went crazy or something? Yeah. I don't know how to attack children, but they did. They did a brainwashing, but it, it always happened. It was like, uh oh, the one of the heroes is, is all on his own, and the and the, the bad guys, the Cobra soldiers, start off with the standard ninja one in a line attack. But at one point, they just say, 
screw this, and they all jump on in the <laughs> In fact, I think what you're talking about was from the first miniseries where oh. uh, they had Duke under a mind control for gladiator games. Yep. Oh, okay, uh, that's I right. I was there, too. Slaves of the Cobra Master, I believe. Yes. Yep. Um, yeah, and... Yeah, and that's how they got him. <laughs> they, they got Duke by by uh, ganging up on him, and then they put mind control. Uh, they they piled on him. It's like, you can see a change in some of the characters I mean, beyond the rotation of the characters. You know, because in the first season, the first miniseries in the first season, it was primarily Duke, Scarlet, Snake Eyes, and some of the original ones. Then it became Flint, Lady J, and some of the new ones. And then, of course, it came rotating around. Uh, uh, the later seasons we won't talk about because I can't say anything nice about anything that has started slaughter as a cartoon character. <laughs> well, uh, well, uh, well he, he is a cartoon character. Yeah. You know, what I love about Sergeant Slaughter is when he was in the cartoon was around the time that in WWF they made his character, the heel character, made him a, a Saudi supporter. No, it was it was like about four years before that because he, was, he wasn't even in WWF at the time. He was in another company that's like now defunct. And... WWC. No, it was, uh, was it? AWA. Yeah. And he was... Oh, my God, they know about wrestling to this extent. <laughs> like like I said, this... Right now. This, this is the old days of wrestling when wrestling was, like, actually a cartoon. <laughs> Not a soap opera? Nowadays. Oh, yeah, nowadays it's just... Yeah, it is, like, a male soap opera. And it actually is written by, by soap opera writers. Oh, my God, I was joking. I don't know if I can say male soap opera. <laughs> <laughs> they took but my it, job! Yeah. No. But Slaughter got me to watch wrestling for a short period. I, I, I was in the <laughs> cartoon, and they say, and now we're adding the wrestlers, and I'm like, what's this wrestling thing? And, and I checked it out for a little bit. Um, when it became a sofa, I got lost interested, but that, at the time, it was really cartoonish. Let me uh, get you all to watch Hulk Hogan's Rock and Wrestling too, didn't you? Oh, God, no. <laughs> <laughs> that was awful. I know. I have limits. <laughs> what about the, what was the one? What was that one movie? Uh, like Urban Commando or something that he was in? Yeah. Suburban Commando. Yeah. Just say I have oh. not seen that. I was frozen today. <laughs> Dude, that should have been the stinger. For Lloyd, I'm sorry. I love your work, but what were you thinking? It was a dump truck full of money, Tom. He's only human. <laughs> Sergeant Slaughter started out as a mail-order figure, and he, the figure actually became so popular that they had to put him in the cartoon, and they had to like make him a regular uh, retail uh, figure. Yeah, yeah. But uh, other, other points of interest is that uh, William Perry was also a G.I. Joe mail-order figure, oh. and he was not in the cartoon, thank God. <laughs> but uh, do you know the rarest uh, G.I. Joe figure of them all? I is, should. I'm uh, the one who told y'all. <laughs> oh, God damn it. Okay. <laughs> well, tell me. I don't know. Okay, it was uh, it was Rocky. <laughs> Sylvester Stallone. God well, damn it. It, was, it wasn't Sylvester Stallone. It was Rocky Balboa. Wait, William Perry, the football player? Yeah, he had yes. a weapon that was basically a football on a stick. Yes. <laughs> the, the Chicago Cubs defensive lineman? The fridge. There's... <laughs> God Damn it. See, I don't watch sports, and I know you just got that wrong. It's the Bears, not the Cubs. I said the Bears. I have it recorded. Okay. <laughs> okay. Part of the 85 Bears, hey. But I'll, I'll give I'll give Sunbow this much credit. They did not really highlight uh, 
uh, or, or even reference Sergeant Slaughter's status as a wrestler, except for the occasional body slam. Now, here's the uh, thing. Uh, in 1987, Hasbro planned to introduce another celebrity as a member of the G.I. Joe team, uh, Rocky Balboa, made famous by Sylvester Stallone, yada, yada, yada. He even appeared in Marvel Comics' G.I. Joe Order of Battle Number 2 with a rendition drawn by Herb Trimpey and a file card written by Larry Hama. Oh, Larry. But negotiations fell through. Stallone sent his image to Coleco's Rambo toy line. A retraction was printed in the Marvel Comics, and Rocky Balboa never became a member of G.I. Joe. Thank God. Uh, the uh, figure is so rare, it was only in the prototype stage. Wow. Oh, uh, I, there's one last little anecdote about Sergeant Slaughter. Uh, do you know what his finishing move is called? What? The Cobra Clutch. No. Yes. He was a spy. <laughs> at, least he, at least he was not once a man. <laughs> God. But, uh, yeah, I, I just have a lot of odd memories of G.I. Joe, like... Uh, you know, I do remember I liked the uh, – one thing I remember is in the cartoon, Storm Shadow's rivalry was not with Snake Eyes. Nope. It, it was with – Spirit. The oh, Native yeah. American Joe. That was – I I remember that, and I remember how offensive I thought that was at the time. Well, it's not like Storm Shadow distracted them by throwing trash on the ground and you have to stop and cry. <laughs> yeah. But also remember that a lot of this was before they really went to the Snake Eyes as ninja thing. Yeah, yeah Snake Eyes was just supposed to be like a really messed up vet. Uh, yeah, a Black Ops type character, you know, a SEAL or you know Green Beret types. Or a Ranger or one of those, yeah. 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 I, I like him better like that, personally. Uh, I liked him in the early cartoons where he was just this Black Ops guy. This badass Black Ops guy that never speaks and... Uh, yeah. One thing yeah. I remember in the early Larry Hama comics was there was this one where uh, where he gets captured by Cobra and they and uh, you know they they act like oh they're trying to start beating him up and they they're like oh you're not so tough are you I always heard you were dangerous and then all of a sudden they see that he has in his hands like five unpinned grenades yeah. they start running from him because like oh shit yeah I, I do like it was he wasn't the undefeatable one then uh, in the later series he became Mystic Ninja guy who was never defeated or appeared, seemed to know things that nobody else would know. He be, Almost a Mary Sue. Yeah, I like the early ones. Like like I said, in that Larry Hama story, it started with him getting beat up. He just happened to like, get the best of them at the end with the grenade trick. Yeah. But, I mean, they did have a lot of interesting episodes. I mean, I think one of my favorites was back during the uh, first season, they had one called, um, oh, now I'm trying to think of the name of it. What happened in it? It was uh, the Siren Song, I think was the name of it, or something like that, where the Baroness finds a mystical conch shell that when she plays it, all men become hypnotized by her. Oh, yeah. Well, all she needs to do is wear wear a bikini and she gets the same effect. (laughs) That was a a good episode for a young boy. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> because you, you got to see they had first of all all the GI Joe women were on there in, in front and center, and then they had a whole bunch of female Cobra troops which you never got to see. You uh, never saw before or after, and they were pretty <laughs> cute. I gotta say, I, the, 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 the female Cobra foot soldiers were pretty cute. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> one episode I remember is one where the Joes and Cobra had to team up against like a drug lord. I think it was yeah. a drug lord. Was it a drug lord? Yeah, they did that. Oh. But that's that. I think that's the Deke series. No, it was before then because yeah. you still had Chris Lauda as Cobra Commander. 
Well, he was in at least the first season of Deke. Um, it, what it may be is after the movie. What yeah. I remember is okay. what happened was they were going to leave the island, and they were going and, yeah. and the Joes and Cobra are like really chummy now. And then, and then there was a disagreement about who was going to leave the island first. It's like, it's like we're not going to let you leave first. That and was, I think, that was first season because that was uh, Cobra Commander uh, Baroness Flint and Lady J. Uh, where it was some sort of hunter that was going after them. Oh, it was a hunter. That wasn't the drug yeah. guy. That was the hunter. The drug guy was uh, the later season after the movie where uh, Falcon, Lieutenant Falcon, who is uh, General Hawk's nephew, or no, Duke's cousin or brother or something like that, who voiced in the movie by Don Johnson, uh, gets hooked on drugs, and G.I. Joe and Cobra have to team up to take down the head man. Yeah. The the, the Deke series really got silly. Yeah. I, yeah, series, I don't know what you're talking about. There was no Deke series. If there's one thing worse than a than a terrorist organization bent on ruling the world, it's drugs. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I mean t- talk about totally backwards. Yeah, yes. we will destroy the world and we'll kill anyone in our way, but we're not going to use drugs. I mean, we have limits. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and uh, what I remember is. Uh, there was this whole argument of we won't let you leave the island first because what if what if we get stranded and it's like well we can go first it's like and then leave our backs open where you can shoot us and it was just this whole like argument between Cobra Commander and Duke about who's going to leave the island first and it was that was the Hunter episode that was definitely the Hunter episode. Yep. I, although I mean another episode that really sticks out not because it was a great episode not because it was the best animation but because it had such a Stupid premise that worked. Which one was this? The Viper is coming. Oh, I knew it. Yeah. <laughs> the episode? Oh, that was so dumb. It, it was, but I mean, it just, if, for the younger people who have not seen it, basically the whole thing is that there is a recording on one of the Joe's home answering machines that says, The Viper is coming. And, of course, later on, DeFipa is coming. Uh, it gives a series of numbers. And the Joes are trying to figure out what it is and what the numbers could be, so they head off to figure the numbers are latitude and longitude, and they find a hidden Cobra base in the Arctic. And uh, other things happen from these messages, and they find out later, at the very end, it's the windshield Viper. He is coming to wash the windows. Yeah, this guy with a squeegee in his hand comes walking down the middle of the road. He's like... I am the Viper. I got the Viper windows. But see, that was a very old joke. Yeah. <laughs> at least, at least they didn't like explain it. Oh, they said Viper, not Viper. It's his accent, like they did in uh, in, uh, in, in the last <laughs> cartoon we did. Yeah. In Dungeons and Dragons, like white hair is in white rabbit. <laughs> oh boy. <laughs> Yes, uh, they could have. They could have explained the joke after they did the joke, but they didn't. That's one of my favorite episodes, just for being so stupid. <laughs> what was the, what was one of your favorite? Uh, here, here's one. Uh, who is your? What do you think of shipwreck? Shipwreck is awesome. Uh, no, I, I disagree because I love shipwreck except for the way that he was introduced. <laughs> he, it was like a bar fight, wasn't it? Uh, yes and no. It was a bar fight. It was the second miniseries, if I remember correctly. It was the third one. It was uh, it was the Pyramid of Darkness, which was the season one opener. Okay. Yeah. Sure. I thought it was um, uh, in the Revenge of Cobra. Well, it's one of those two. Yeah. Uh, where he is a sailor who runs a sand ship. Right. So that the Joes can cross over this desert. You know. Yeah, well, you know. You know. Uh, it was shipwreck. 
Shipwreck was uh, Buzz Dixon's favorite character, right? I don't blame him. I mean, Shipwreck was the only one that really had any guff. And you know how the voice actor was told to voice him? He says, voice it like like a real stern Popeye. (laughs) They said, said, uh, write him like Popeye, portray him like Jack Nicholson. (laughs) (laughs) If it wasn't for one thing, I think I would say that Shipwreck would have been my favorite character. What's that? The goddamn parrots. Yeah. Funny you mentioned that. Uh, Voiced by Frank Welker. The CG movie, the CG movie Spy Troops, absolutely terrible CG, absolutely terrible story. There's this five-minute sequence where you can swear that somebody from the old Sunbow team like snuck in the room and wrote five minutes of dialogue, where basically they decided that they have to send in a Joe to infiltrate the Cobra base to get the secret files. And they and one guy, I think it was Roblox, says, well, why not Shipwreck? He does a great Cobra Commander impersonation on Talent Night. Uh, yeah. See that right there. After you object, because uh, uh, roadblock would have made it rhyme. Okay, the, the say, real roadblock. Yeah, yeah I was going to say uh, whether it be Doc, Hawk, Rock, or Sock. I always hated the rhymes of roadblock. And uh, in, you had this sequence where where Shipwreck sneaks in the Cobra base, puts on a Cobra Commander suit, and sitting in Cobra Commander's throne, and he's and he and he does the Cobra Commander voice and orders. Bring me that data file. And then this parrot is hiding behind him and says, in his Cobra Commander voice, and crackers! <laughs> it, 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 was totally, it was totally like somebody from Sunbow snuck in the room and wrote this. Yeah. And in comes a platter of crackers. Yeah, on a silver platter. Shipwreck had the, had the, the same problem that a lot of... The, I mean, Shipwreck was introduced as sort of this renegade character. That you were unsure of who he, uh, whose side he was on, or he, he was like, he was basically a Han Solo. I mean, when he was first introduced, uh, yeah, I love Shipwreck, but Shipwreck Han Solo, same sentence. Uh, no, I, that's the sort of vibe they were looking for with him, and he just got increasingly whiny. Yeah, <laughs> as he progressed. I, mean, I that's why I said no. Yeah. When they got to that one, uh, that one synthoid episode where it was like the life that Shipwreck never had. It was this huge psychodrama with, with Shipwreck where he was married and had married a kid. Married to a mermaid. A cool yeah. mermaid. Oh, yeah, that's right. What, was the tuna mermaid? No, this uh, she was basically had blue skin and could breathe underwater, couldn't breathe out of water, that type of thing. Oh, God. Yeah, this and was where they turn uh, Blizzard into a giant killer whale. Oh, my God. And it was a character from a previous episode, but the Synthoid version, it, obviously it wasn't her. But uh, yeah, it was it was this uh, big drama episode for Shipwreck, and he was whining throughout the entire ordeal. <laughs> but let's move next to the movie or the first five minutes of the movie. Well, let's let's we haven't even talked about Serpentor yet, and well, I actually, I actually have a a pretty good uh, uh, story about Serpentor that ties into the movie. It, do well, it. Let's do explain it. for again for people who don't know Serpentor in. Uh, the figures, the G.I. Joe action figures, um, and eventually in the cartoon, was created. He was a combination of the most evil DNA of the most evil people on Earth. Yeah, Genghis Khan, Alexander the Great, I mean, and ho- had a whole list of them, and created to create Serpentor, the ultimate leader of Cobra. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I, 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 can deal, I can deal with science, uh, very flimsy science fiction like the combination of DNA like that. Okay, I can deal with that. I can deal with them being raised as the ultimate warrior. Okay, I can deal with that. It's then a they stick him in a golden snake costume. With a he- headdress, wasn't it? With a headdress, a, a, a cobra's head headdress, 
and a flying chariot. Well, what's funny about Serpentor to me is it looks like this man in this, like, snake-themed pajama hoodie thing. It just Sometimes he looks really silly in the cartoon. Sometimes? Sometimes. Okay, all the time. <laughs> all the time. All the time. And by the way, by the way, Rodimus Prime's uh, trailer turns into an, something that looks like that air chariot. Yeah. It's funny that you called uh, Serpentor the ultimate warrior just now, because... That, that same episode where he where he shows up is also the episode that introduces Sergeant Slaughter. Oh, my God. Yep. They were introduced at the same time. I, I, because they always had the rivalries between a Joe and a Cobra. Who yeah. was, was it? So who was the rival for Scarlet? Was it Baroness? Baroness. What about, who did Lady J have? The Baroness. <laughs> oh, a three-girl, three, three, oh, yeah. That's a, yeah three, your a three mind explodes with possibilities. Yeah, where's the mud? <laughs> Jello. It's. I'm not sure. Mud or Jello. Let me put it this way: you cannot lick off mud. Okay. <laughs> but anyway, this this story. This, this is such a convoluted story. I had to write this all down. But who, uh, without without any outbursts uh, or spoilers, who knows the story behind the most dangerous man in the world? No one. Okay, this is going to be good. Uh, during the show's production. Buzz Dixon had wanted to do an episode called The Most Dangerous Man in the World, which also may or may not have been the original plot of the movie. Uh, it was going to be a story in which Cobra shifts focus to recapturing a man who had escaped from their prison. Uh, it was an undeveloped character because the episode was never written, but uh, it, was, it, was this, uh, it was this guy who had a political philosophy who, that would eventually give rise to Cobra, and then Cobra Commander would twist his teachings around and throw this man in jail and take over the whole the whole uh, army. Uh, so the story was that was that G.I. Joe was going to be racing Cobra to find this man, and they were going to make a, make a deal with this guy, and then the episode would end with them wondering if they had made a deal with the devil. Uh, the problem is that Hasbro jumped in and said, well, you have to introduce the new Cobra Emperor. And, and uh, Marvel was like, well, wait a minute, who's this Cobra Emperor? And Hasbro was like, Oh, he's been there the whole time. He's been he's been uh, giving Cobra Commander orders and and telling him what to do. And and they're like, shit. Well, we can't do this storyline about the most dangerous man if we have this Cobra Emperor running the show. So wow. Buzz Dixon Buzz Dixon came up with this alternate idea to have the Cobra scientist Doctor Mindbender create the genetic amalgam of uh, of Serpentor. Let me and that, for a second here. Yeah. Um, Doctor Mindbender, great name. <laughs> Great name, but his background story was that he was a dentist who apparently created an experimental knockout gas for his patients that turned him loony, and he became a Cobra scientist after that. Open, I mean, open shirt, chest, and monocle. Do I need to say any more? Did that also give him his outrageous accent? Yes. <laughs> you know, you know that the dentists become really evil. I mean, Doctor Doom has an evil dentist cousin. Mm. No, he really does. <laughs> Hey, I've seen Little House of Horrors. Uh, Bob Doom. Is. Bob Doom was his name, I think. Bob Doom. <laughs> no, I'm serious. I know this is like Dr. Bob Doom. Yeah, Victor Bob Doom's fifth cousin. And his costume is, is uh, you know, just for some reference, uh, there you go. And uh, But while we look at this horrifying picture, uh, go ahead and continue on with about the amalgam of DNA for, for Serpenter. Okay. Well, they presented this idea to Hasbro, and they said, "Okay, we can we can do your idea of uh, of having this emperor that shows up out of nowhere, 
or we can have the genetically built Serpentor idea. And Hasbro spectacularly said, do both. And with that, the most dangerous man in the world was scrapped, and they had to create this entirely new storyline that involved Cobra Law. Well, Cobra Law didn't come around until after the birth of Serpentor. Yeah, but that was... I remember the uh, series where they had uh, the DNA hunt. They had to go to the tombs of these people, and it's one of the few times Cobra won. Yeah, but that that was uh, that was all planned in advance. That yeah. No, um, Tom Cobra did not win with Serpentor. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, okay. In general, they didn't win with Serpentor because he was worse than Cobra Commander. But um, they didn't because I I I remember this episode. Um, one of the DNAs they needed was Sergeant Slaughter's DNA for That's some right. reason. And at the very last minute, Sergeant Slaughter smashed the container that had his DNA, so Serpentor was incomplete. And that's the thing. They, they couldn't use a carnivorous vine to grab the DNA, sadly. <laughs> I'm sorry, Neil. I, I, it, I had to. I, I'm, to interrupt for a second, I'm looking at your stuff for Dr. Bob Dune. As soon as I saw that picture, I knew it had to be Steve Gerber's work, and sure enough, I mean, that looks like something from Howard the Duck. It's, uh, yeah, he's... Comic book, not the movie. But that's, uh, yeah, that was... <laughs> yeah, Dr. Doom's the evil dentist cousin, Dr. Bob Doom, that who, you know, you can tell he's an evil genius, and you can tell how high he is on the evil genius train when he's his base of operations in Connecticut. <laughs> if it was Massachusetts, it'd be more, but... Well, the taxes would be killer there, though. Exactly. He would have been the senator. <laughs> Yeah, that's true. But, uh... Kennedy and Bob Doom. <laughs> it's time for intermission, boys and girls. Take a deep breath. Relax. Tooncast is dedicated to the cartoons we grew up with. 100 episodes and more make up one of the GCRN's most popular podcasts. Join hosts TFG and Mike, Optimus Solo, Terror the Rising Star, and tons of guest hosts. We also have voice actor and writer interviews. Tune in to Tooncast as we look back on the cartoons that defined us as geeks. You can find Tooncast on iTunes and the web at www.geekcastradio.com. Tune in. Another thing that I remember was something Neil mentioned to me in chat long ago was when he was a child, Neil, when you were a child, you said that uh, when we first watched the show, you were confused why they had two lead bad guys with Destro and, uh, and Cobra Commander, but later on you realized why. Yeah, because it, they, they had built this like infrastructure for, for the Cobra uh, uh, army. I didn't, I didn't realize so much later that, that, uh, that Destro was like the arms dealer and... Uh, they had they had the, the the two Cobra twins that uh, ran some sort of they corporation. Max, uh, yeah, they ran a corporation, and it, there was this whole uh, extensive enterprises. Yeah, there was this whole uh, economic theory that went into Cobra and how it functioned. Whereas GI Joe was just like, eh, it's run with tax <laughs> <laughs> and, and they and they live in a in a base out in the desert that is that is amusingly prone to attack. <laughs> it, it, I mean, we laugh at that, but it also. Uh, G.I. Joe came out not that long after one of my favorite movies called Megaforce. Oh, my God. It was basically the same thing. It was a uh, mysterious organization uh, of the top military personnel from across the world that was funded by some of the good countries of the Earth. And they had super secret weaponry and, you know, things that it shouldn't have, and they went out on these missions. One movie starring Barry Bostwick... um, 
and uh, Persis Kambada. And it's one of those movies that are, is so much fun to watch because it is so bad. <laughs> God, I remember Mega Force. Oh. <laughs> but uh, one thing I do, I do love, I do love Destro because Destro has a chrome head with a moving mouth. He is the man in the iron mask, yeah. and I like that they never explain how his mask could like move with his mouth. Yeah, well, I, hopefully these whatever idea they came up with was better than the one they had in the movie. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, the uh, the uh, the ninth, live action movie. The, yeah, the yeah. ninth doctor was not good in there. Uh, but we were talking. I was talking about uh, how how the GI Joe base was prone to attack, and but but the Cobra base, which was uh, the Terror Drome, was on an island, uh, heavily guarded, and yet like didn't it have like a rock structure shaped like a cobra head. I think so. But like during the movie, five GI Joes broke in, led by Sergeant Slaughter, and with a time bomb. They blow up the whole base. Am I thinking? Well, am I thinking of the, the Cobra Island, or am I thinking of? Am I thinking of the, the rock, uh, Snake Mountain from He-Man? I'm not sure anymore. I, I think you're thinking of Snake Mountain. Yeah. They did have giant Cobra heads over a lot of the bases for Cobra. You're asking which one of them ripped off uh, Indiana Jones, and the answer is yes. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I, I just wanted to make sure because. Uh, because I remember they liked putting Cobra shit on everything. I mean, they, if they had to build like a giant, you know, giant death can, they had to make it shape like a Cobra. Well, to be fair, I mean, I, I think a great example of this was um, after the disagreements you had with them earlier, David Willis had a comic over at Short Pact that dealt with Destro building this great destructive laser, and then Cobra Commander comes in and says, can you make it snake-based? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> And he has to go through and do some major reworking. He says, no, now I want it to uh, shoot stakes. And that's basically it. I think everybody made that joke. Yeah. But like I said, I just remember that, uh, you know, if they ever made a death can, it has to be shaped like a cobra about to open its mouth or something. And uh, and uh, can we get into the movie now, guys, or are we still talking about the series itself? I'm trying to avoid it. Well, I'm going to mention one thing. The first five minutes, everyone has to experience the first five minutes because those opening, the opening song, those opening credits, the the, the cheesiness of Cobra's going to blow up the Statue of freaking Liberty. And that, that song was awesome. That song was yeah, awesome. You could you could you use it as like a as like an army recruiting virtual. Uh, <laughs> it totally fits. There's strong, and then there's army strong. And the, the animation was great, and you have one of the Cobra bad guys punching a dog. Yeah. <laughs> now, let me go through. If you haven't seen the movie, let me, uh, again, background guy. Uh, the Cobra, the G.I. Joe movie was actually supposed to be the first theatrical release from Marvel Animation, Marvel Productions. However, uh, Hasbro, I believe it was Hasbro, decided that they wanted the Transformers movie out first. Wasn't Transformers so, a hotter property at the time? It was. Originally? It yeah. was. So the Transformers movie came out, and there was such a backlash because of the death of Optimus Prime that a further delay was put on the G.I. Joe movie because they had to rewrite some scenes that, that parallel the Transformers movie, or Transformers parallel G.I. Joe, where Duke dies. Yeah. Really? From a cobra really. to the heart. Yep. So they changed it to where he was wounded, and he pulls out of it at the end. Yeah, he was in a coma, and they, they and he's over the rays as, did you hear Duke's recovering? Yeah, that's the funny part. They didn't really change the animation. They just changed the dialogue. Yeah, and, you know, like I said, you watch the first five minutes, and number one, didn't they get the torch on the Statue of Liberty wrong? Because did they change? Did they change it from the grid to the solid gold torch before no, that? No, I believe. Yeah. Uh, 
I believe that it actually was British. I've got, I just saw it earlier this morning. I've got to take a look again. Uh, I, I know it was the grid one in, in G.I. Joe, but when did they change the Statue of Liberty's torch? I know they changed it to well, assault. The big thing was that the torch was lit, and in the 80s, the torch was not lit in reality. That's true. Yep. Yeah, and like I said, I just remember that that animation was gorgeous. They spent some money on it. I, it. To me, it was complete turnaround from the animation they used for Transformers movie, which was basically simple credits. The G.I. Joe opening was absolutely and is absolutely beautiful. And originally, the Statue of Liberty scene was going to be the final scene in the movie. They wanted to, but they decided it was so great they didn't want to delay it. It is gridded. What's really striking about that about that opening is that all throughout the series, whenever you saw a plane or a boat or something get get destroyed, they always escaped. That did not happen in the opening. Nope. People were dying. <laughs> in fact, one of the very first people shot down was was. Uh, was Major Blood. His rocket pack explodes. He falls. Where is he going? <laughs> who, who's the guy who punches the dog? Uh, I think that was one of the dreadnoughts. And that's that's really hard to catch because it happens so fast. He, he punches the dog and then Scarlet punches him. And I, don't think, I don't think he really punches it. I think, I think he hits it with like the butt of his gun or something. Well, that's worse. <laughs> I know. Now, even before the movie, I mean, G.I. Joe always had one of the cooler theme musics. Yeah. It was, now, I mean, it was American, it was bombastic, it was great. Yep. And yeah. it wasn't the disco-ish of the other Marvel productions. I mean, with the exception of Transformers, and they changed Transformers scenes several times for each season. Yeah, let me let me, let me me. But it was still way. the basic one. Season one Transformers theme is the best. Season two yeah. is kind of okay. Season three and four is, ha, 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 ha. That's literally what you hear. To me, it sounds like a chorus of men who have dry coughs. Although, I mean, when, between the two of them, the coolest theme of them all was Transformers movie. You know, White Lion doing the Transformers theme. Yes. Yeah, I still like the G.I. Joe movie theme because they added this whole Cobra part of the song, you know. Yeah. In like I said, the movie is uh, just just watch it for the intro. Once the intro's over, stop, feel good about yourself, and move on. Yeah, uh, it, it yeah. served the same purpose that Transformers movie did, and that is to introduce uh, to get rid of the old characters and old figures and introduce all new characters and all new figures. Uh, rather than Duke and uh, Flint, you now had Falcon and General Hawk. Yeah. So I mean, it, it was supposed to be a transition, just like Transformers movie was. But it sure didn't have the impact that Transformers movie did. No, they no, it really didn't. Almost none of those characters came back. Yeah, because the, the G.I. Joe movie just got sillier and sillier and sillier. There was a, there was this part where you had Serpentor saying, "We need to, you know, I'm taking over because we're because you're not good because you're incompetent, Cobra Commander." And then you had this whole thing where Cobra Commander has to defend himself in front of Serpentor and his actions, and I didn't enjoy that scene at all. Well, and to me, I mean, as much as I loved his body of work, uh, the head villain, and my name, the Cobra, uh, not the Umberer, but whatever the uh, big villain's name Glo- was. Globulus. Uh, Globulus. Was yeah. voiced by Burgess Meredith. Oh, no. And, you know, I mean, I loved his work in Rocky. I loved a lot of the TV work he did, even the, the Penguin. penguin. <laughs> I knew it. This was not, well, I'm, I still think of some of the Twilight Zone episodes he did. Oh, yeah, where he was and, the devil? Well, where he was the last man on Earth. Yeah. He had time now. Yep. But, uh, 
Oh, I like the I like the one with the Nazis. He was in. That was a good he, one. Too. He just was not the right person to play. Well, I thought he was a villain the character. Uh, it just didn't, it didn't strike me. I mean, I, again, I, I come because of the properties and the time period and the creators. Transformers the movie and GI Joe the movie will always get compared. And on one hand, who were the big villains in Transformers the movie? You had Leonard Nimoy for God's sake and Orson Welles. Oh, on the gosh. other hand, you had Burgess Meredith in a guy in a snake suit that screams Cobra. La 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 la. Yeah. A man in a in a snake hoodie. <laughs> <laughs> oh God! It's uh, and when we talk about the movie, we talk about we talk about the only the only episodes that Deke ever did. There was no episodes after that. We're talking about Operation Dragonfly, right? Yeah, Operation Dragonfire. Uh, it's an interesting little footnote to the to the Sunbow era because it was done by Deke, but they the writer was Doug Booth, who was like one of the Sunbow writers. And they got a lot of the Sunbow voices. Uh, they didn't get all of them. Serpenter had a different voice. Uh, uh, and it wasn't—it wasn't like that shitty Deke animation. It was—it was almost. Uh, yeah, I have no idea who who the studio was, but they did an okay job. It could have been Sunrise. It could have been. Yeah. Yeah. And and you know that was that was how it it ended. I mean, some people yeah. talk about this season where they where the theme has got to get tough, but I don't remember that at all. Do you, Neil? No, I don't remember that at all. But what's interesting about Operation Dragonfire is that it retains the original theme song, but it makes no reference to Cobra. G.I. Joe is the code name for an international highly trained special mission force. Its purpose, to defend human freedom against a ruthless terrorist organization determined to rule the world. I want to I wanna get Doug Booth on this show so I can ask him about that. Because I, I think that's a that's a vestige from from Sunbow season three, Ooh. because Sunbow season three was there was going to be no Cobra at all, and there was going to be a new a new terrorist organization called the Coil that was run by the the Cobra twins, and uh, it would you'd get through most of the season, and eventually it was going to be uh, revealed that Cobra Commander was on his way back and he was trying to reform Cobra, but you wouldn't have Cobra in this season at all, so that's why I think that that theme song exists. In the context of the Deke cartoon, it doesn't make any sense because Cobra's there from episode one. Yeah, and another thing to remember is uh, Cobra Commander does make a cameo appearance in Transformers. And, yeah, uh, after the movie where it takes place in the future, you have the old villain Snake. Old Snake, yeah. Old Snake. They don't make terrorists like they used to. Cobra! <laughs> <laughs> And I think that's that's about the only crossover they've ever shown between the two properties yeah. uh, in, in the, the animated series. They had a couple of crossovers in the comic books, but a couple. I think that was. I think they did like ten or twelve. There was also Marissa Fairborn, who was uh, who was the the daughter of uh, Flint. Flint Lady J. Oh, yeah. what? Oh, you forgot one thing. Isn't there like? Isn't there like a news reporter that's in both series? That's right, Hector Ramirez, who is a parody of Geraldo Rivera. Geraldo Rivera is a parody of a real news reporter. Yeah, I, I, I love that crestfallen look on his face when they opened up Al Capone's vault. Because all that was in there was like a wooden chair. I know it's off track, but I still think he should have been arrested for giving uh, enemy information. You know, telling. Remember, he was banned from Iraq during the war because oh. he gave away the positions of some of our military forces. Live I, on air. I think he got. I think he got payment enough when he embarrassed himself with Al Capone's vault. 
Now, this is much after he should have been laughed out of the industry and, like I said, arrested for giving away that information. But back to G.I. Joe. Uh, Hector Ramirez was also in Inhumanoids and Gem. So that, that ties Gem to the... Humanoids, yeah. So that ties Gem to Transformers and G.I. Joe in continuity, unfortunately. <laughs> so, well, that's if you use the Speedy Theory. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to have to thank Tom for giving a name to Speedy Theory. <laughs> Speedy Theory? <laughs> yeah, because it's a theory that if you just have a character to show up in two different cartoons, that means that they're in the same universe. <laughs> I mean, I, the original G.I. Joe stuff was silly. That, it, it was, I mean, as silly as some of the stuff from Transformers was, G.I. Joe, which could have been a lot better, was definitely hampered by the time and by the studio. Uh, a lot of stuff just came off very silly. There was always a parachute, and there were always... Uh... Yeah, uh, they fired off more shots than the L.A. police force. <laughs> and hit no one. Less people were hit. They, they, fired le- they, fu- they had less accuracy than stormtroopers. And the only time anyone ever got hurt was uh, Duke getting a snake thrown to his, through his heart. And he survived it. Well, yeah. you know, a shot to the heart and you're to blame. No. <laughs> I, I'm, thinking he, I'm thinking he must have, like, some wicky blood in him, because those people can survive a cave-in, for crying out loud. Well, to be fair, they had to move, they had to move Spike's brain into like, a, into, like, a patchwork Autobot while they were Autobot X, yeah. In, yeah. While they were doing brain surgery, because they're like, if only we could move his consciousness, we could do brain surgery. Which I've never heard of before, but... <laughs> I keep wondering how Destro kept his job. I mean, if he was the arms dealer for Cobra, and they kept missing, there must have been something wrong with those weapons. Well, he kept on giving marginal improvements, so they kept paying, so... <laughs> you, you know, it's uh, that, that's how he made his money. And, you know, I would love to see a great live-action G.I. Joe movie. It really wouldn't be that hard. I mean, you... you, you well, G.I. Joe eventually... Many, many years later, there was a, a series after G.I. Joe, which, although named G.I. Joe, had nothing to do with G.I. Joe, uh, called G.I. Joe Sigma-6. The less said about that, the better. It was the weeabusation <laughs> of an American hero. Yes. But they did a uh, webisode series over on Adult Swim, uh, Cartoon Network Adult Swim, called G.I. Joe Resolute, which was Written- could have been a spin-off slash merger of the, the cartoon series and the comic books, and it definitely took a lot darker tone. Written by Warren Ellis. Yep, uh, written by Warren Ellis, directed by Joaquin Dos Santos, and produced by Sam Register. Wow. Now, Sam it, Register did something that wasn't bad? Yeah, this was actually very good. The, I mean, it had one major flaw to me, and that is they had four people doing all the voices, and there were a lot of voices in this. And even then, it was three guys and one woman. Well, they got, they got people that were, like, really good with... A wide range, at least, right? Yeah, uh, well, Charlie Adler, Eric Bolza, uh, Stephen Bloom, and Grady Lee. Uh, Grady's okay. Grady yeah. can do good voice. But it's still, I mean... I, I can't picture Grady... I can do. I can picture Grady doing Baroness, but I can't picture Grady doing doing uh, Scarlet at all. That's that's no mojo. She did. but I uh, can't picture it. It's, uh, I'm, I'm sorry. It, 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 she, she'd be great as Baroness. Let me, let me, let me just put that out there. <laughs> But, well, uh, she, she, she did all the female voices in this, um, so and there were a number of female voices in it. But it definitely took it on, as we were talking pre-show, it took a darker edge when one of the first things that we see is uh, a CSI team in Washington, D.C. investigating a body on the steps of the Lincoln Memorial that had been stabbed to death, what, a single cobra head-shaped dagger through the heart. And one of the phony CSI people was actually Scarlet Desai's 
finding out who it was and it being uh, Major Blood, one of the Cobra villains. Wow. They also had, over on the USS Flag, uh, a number of bombs being set off from Snake Storm Shadow sneaking on board. And the person who was in charge of security that day was the character who was a little slower than everyone else, Bazooka. Duke starts to blame him until they find Bazooka, and he had already been killed. Ouch. So right in the first in the first episode, they have more deaths than they have in the entire series of the original G.I. Joe. That is definitely true. But, uh, you know, the, the original series, I think, really helped define the Sunbow era. The Sunbow era was really just three to four cartoons, wasn't it, Neil? I wouldn't even More go that far. You know, if you eliminate Transformers and you eliminate G.I. Joe, Sunbow and Marvel Productions really had nothing. There was nothing memorable about it. I, I, with my all due respect to people who like Jim or Inhumanoids or even Ama- Spider-Man and his amazing friends. That was more Marvel Productions without Sunbow. Yeah. yeah. It, it, there, well, the entire Marvel period of that time was rather forgettable. What about Charmkins? <laughs> Pardon me while I go throw up. <laughs> oh God! And then after seeing what became of Mainframe Studio, a company that created Reboot and Beast Wars, oh, you can see deteriorations. You mean you mean Rainmaker? Yeah, like I said deteriorations. <laughs> Yeah, it's. Uh, I actually got in an argument with Fezworks about that because I said they're now Rainmakers. No, they, they're just still mainframe. They were just bought by somebody, and then he wiki did. And he's like, um, now Rainmaker. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, we have that on audio. I love that. Yeah, but, <laughs> but yeah, it's. I love GI Joe, even with all the corniness, the the silliness, the uh, they they can't hit anything worth a damn. Uh, the, the bombastic 80s patriotism. I love that. I love the 80s bombastic patriotism. I mean, it, it, if nothing else, I mean, there was, each episode had to show the teamwork of the Joes. Uh, it had to show that the friendship. So, I mean, there were, it wasn't hitting you over the head with things like a lot of the PC cartoons of the era. It was fun, definitely oriented towards a male audience. But I'm surprised that we haven't gone without saying what the biggest impact that G.I. Joe ever had on its target audience. What's that? And everyone who has ever seen this show will have the same response to this statement. And now we know. And knowing is half the battle. G.I. Joe. What I love is there was a story that uh, that Flynn Dilly told us that uh, Buzz Dixon was writing one of these PSAs, and he put in, like, a really dirty joke in there, or a reference to a dirty joke, and tried to, sleep, slip, tried to slip it through. <laughs> And someone caught it later on, and because it's like, well, we aren't really showing it. He's just motioning to it. <laughs> <laughs> Remember, Neil? Yes, I do. But I mean, the PSAs at the end of every episode. It wasn't like the uh, filmation He-Man PSAs that. You know, well, this entire episode was about this. It was just one of those little aside things. You know, GI Joe comes across something that's happening, and you know, they help the kids out and give a little speech. Well, I remember the one that they showed the most when I was growing up when they were when they were doing reruns was the one where the kid should have burned his hand off on the doorknob in the, when the house was on fire. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because he grabs the knob with his full hand, he gets a good grip of it before he's like, "Ow!" <laughs> and see, the thing is, I was taught that if there's a fire, you touch the back of your hand on the door, don't grab the handle because it can really melt your hand. 
And I remember that one the most because I remember, because I was actually, I was a kid thinking, stupid, you don't do that, you use the back of your hand. Haven't you ever seen Indiana Je- or Raiders of the Lost Ark? You don't grab things out of the fire. Yeah, and uh, and you know why they did the uh, PSAs, right, Tom? Yeah, a lot of it, yeah, was because with those PSAs, and every once in a while Transformers would have one too. It put it into the educational division, allowing it to be included with a certain uh, a set amount of time that had to be used for educational TV on television stations. Plus, they wanted to show to the parents' groups that they were the good guys, too, because uh, there were, like, 30 violent points a cartoon back then. And you could, if, you, if you have a character knocked over by a wave, that's two violent points. If a character knocks on a door really loudly, that's three violent points. <laughs> and that was one of the most ridiculous things I ever heard, but uh, that's, that's how Flint Dilly explained it. And I'm like... Wow, you really had your hands hands tied doing a show about army guys blasting terrorists. What I wanted to ask him was that if you if you got if you did like the nicest nicey nice episode possible, could you get away with like a with like a homicide like right in the middle of the show? He actually said <laughs> no. He actually said that you can't do that because he says no, we can't save it up for a violent decapitation. Is what I said, Damn it! Oh yeah, that's right. And uh, yeah, that was. <laughs> No, and the, yeah, and knowing in half the battle is such a big part of the of uh, of our uh, of of our cultural mindset now. It's it's amazing. It's uh, did you ever see the redubs of the PSAs, Tom? The what? The redubs? No. Pork chop sandwiches. This is my favorite one. It's it's just it's my favorite. Okay. Are you watching it? Okay. <laughs> so what do you think of that, Tom? It was different. <laughs> Pork chop sandwiches. Uh, da, 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 da. Come on, that was gold. <laughs> I repeat myself, boy. <laughs> no, the thing is, is I found this because I was trying to find the real PSAs, and you can't find the real PS- PSAs online. You have to, like, buy the DVDs to get the PSAs in... The only versions they had of the PSAs are the joke ones, and that was the funniest one they had. And it's, just, it's such a shame, because, like I said, the PSAs really did have an impact. I think they had more people remember the PSAs than they do the episodes themselves. That's true, and like I said, the one I remember the most vividly is the kid that grabs the uh, door handle with, in the fire, and yeah. Another funny anecdote from the movie is that uh, there was almost a topless scene with Serana. Really? Confirmed by Buzz Dixon. Ooh, really? It was. Was this, their... was this so they could get a PG rating? Yep. <laughs> <laughs> because they couldn't say shit or damn. Yeah. Well, they did in the Transformers movie. <laughs> I know that's how they got the P- that's how they got the PG rating for that movie too. And that got edited out afterwards. <laughs> yeah. Oh shit! What do we do now? Open, damn it! But fortunately, that audio still survives, which is why it's in the DVD version. Whereas the audio that would have had Duke dying uh, does not, or yeah, to the best it, of my knowledge, doesn't exist. I imagine if it was ever recorded, it exists somewhere. Yeah, I'm sure it was recorded because they they always pre-track these cartoons. But well, you know what? It, it's not like it's not like George Lucas. The originals exist somewhere because I know that George Lucas would take nothing but pleasure in finding his original creation and destroying the originals. But, I mean, going back to the Transformers GI Joe comparison. Um, I look at some of the spinoffs and later series that Transformers did. They had a lot more series, uh, which I kind of lumped together. We had the Beast Wars, Beast Machines, which 
depending upon who you are, you either love or hate. Yeah. You had the uh, Japanese bad CGI episodes. Oh, uh, the, the, the Unicron trilogy. Yeah. 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 And you might as well throw robots in disguise with that. Cause I do. Just, all the it was just as shitty. Well, robots in disguise was, Jap- was Japan saying, we can do G1 better than you can. And, and then we see it and we're like, no, you didn't. Yep. Yeah. Then we go to Transformers Animated, which was a completely different take on it. And depending upon the episode, it either really worked well or it was not. And then now we have the uh, Transformers Prime, which, again, it, it either hits or misses. Well, at least they so, didn't get Weird Al just to say, I'm, I'm Grekar, and I dare to be stupid. Hey, I love that bit. Uh, it was too obvious. G.I. Joe went through the same things. I mean, we went and had the original series. Uh, then we went to the crappy episodes of G.I. Joe Sigma 6, which was basically, as I said before, G.I. Joe anime. Yeah, it was. Then we had G.I. Joe Resolute, which was... Probably, I mean, it had a few holes in it, but it was probably one of the best things they had. Oh, there was also the G.I. Joe CGI movies, uh, Spy Troops, and uh, Venom yeah. and Valor. Yep, and anything CGI, well. And then now we've got the uh, G.I. Joe Resolute, uh, excuse me, G.I. Joe Renegades, which they'll probably be changing the name of it because they're no longer Renegades, but was a great, in my opinion, uh, take off of and recreation of the characters. At you know what? The, what I love is the last episode of Renegades because it reveals that the whole series is a dream that Duke had when he was in a coma. From that the was movie. a tag on from the hub. <laughs> that was not real. I'm sorry. I had a dream where we all were, we were all Renegades. And that was Michael Bell they had doing the voice too. Yeah, come on, that was gold, Tom. As long as you don't take it as reality. I mean, I, you'd almost expect uh, Duke to be waking up in the shower with Bobby Ewing. <laughs> and I'll let you people look it up if you don't understand what I'm saying. <laughs> no, I saw Dallas. That was one of the weirdest endings of, of you know. Well, if they, end, if they, if they, the next issue of Spider-Man had Spider-Man wake up with uh, Mary Jane in the shower, I'd be okay with it. Let me just say that. Well, just because it'd be Mary Jane in the shower, but that's a different take altogether. Well, I, I, so, what? It said you just hit the jackpot. <laughs> <laughs> that was gold. That was gold, Neil. That was that was absolutely gold. I don't know what to say about that. But uh, but with GI Joe, G, you know GI Joe, it's I don't really remember GI Joe doing anything around the, you know after September 11th I, when there was a big surge of patriotism. You know, I I almost expected someone that was the rights holder with GI Joe to jump on that. Well, if I understand it correctly, uh, Michael Bay was in line to do the G.I. Joe movie, and then that happened. Uh, and then they said, uh, you're going to do Transformers. I would have preferred Michael Bay doing G.I. Joe over who they really got. Yeah, yeah, I think Michael Bay was much was a much better choice for, for G.I. Joe. Well, he's got a lot more respect for the military. <laughs> yeah. But then we might have had a Devastator's Balls moment in the G.I. Joe movie. Sir, Fe- Sir Penter's uh, Strodom? Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm trying, it's, uh, but uh, but to wrap it up, to wrap it up, really, GI Joe was one of the one of the only two to three, two and a half uh, properties that the Marvel Sunbow did in the '80s, and really, it, it's it was one of the ones that degraded slightly l- less than than Transformers because Transformers was great, but Transformers had Acom animations. 
So, but overall, we love G.I. Joe. G.I. Joe is such a big part of the culture mindset of not just being a, a geek, but be, of being an American, damn it. An American. Uh, Neil, your thoughts? Uh, it was a fun show. You had, uh, you had the, the bombastic good guys. You had the, the, the bumbling idiot for a bad guy, which was always great. That, there was like a whole, that was like a trope in the 80s where you had the, the, the bad guy who was just a complete idiot. It was like uh, Cobra Commander and Serpentor and Ar- <laughs> and uh, uh, what's his name? Uh, Skeletor. That's the one I was thinking of. I loved it. I, I love that era. It, it, cartoons now, they, they, they have these, they, they try to adopt these silly premises from the 80s, but they try to make it all serious. Like, that's, one of the minor gripes I have about the new Thundercats cartoon, it's just, we need to have fun again. You know, stop trying to be so dramatic all the time. And that's, that's why I love the Sunbow era. It's just this silly place where you can go and <laughs> watch, these, watch these, these two idiot sides warring over stuff that sometimes doesn't matter. Weather and, machines and matter transporters yeah. and uh, window cleaners. Yeah, <laughs> This this space age technology that still does not exist, <laughs> and yet somehow somehow we could we could clone a cobra leader uh, from, by by digging up old old uh, tyrants and some, somehow their evilness is in their DNA. Hey, I love it. Isn't that how we got Joe Biden? <laughs> Maybe I, I thought Joe Biden was more of a was more uh, mentally challenged than evil. <laughs> well, like I said, that's how we got Serpentor. Well, with with, the, with Joe Biden, I, I imagine that they they had to use like a baby monitor with him. You know, so Obama's like, "Oh, Biden made an ass of himself again." <laughs> I think half of his administration is uh, is uh, messing up the economy. The other half, of the administration is damage control for Biden. But GI Joe from the eighties, uh, definitely a uh, something that made you glad to be who you were here in the states. I mean, it was a real American hero, not a multinational task force. Uh, it showed, had people from different cultures all across the country, and it definitely sold toys. Oh, yes, it did. And comics. Oh, speaking about international, I just want to throw in really quick that uh, in Britain, it was called Action Force. The Action Force is here. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. To wrap it up, one more little factoid that everyone should know, but I'm surprised that how many people in my generation don't know this. GI stands for General Issue. The G.I. Joes were actually, that was a tagline from World War II, where the American soldiers were general issue infantry, i.e. the G.I. Joes, the yes. common name. And uh, here's a little bit of trivia. Um, the original G.I. Joe figure, 12-inch figure, and they had different models for the different forces, actually made an appearance in the G.I. Joe comic, where uh, the, G- the Joes were, some, I think some of them were being held hostage, um, and a doctor and a nurse help save the day, and it was revealed that they were the original G.I. Joe and G.I. Jane. And the nurse figure is the most, is the most rare because, because, very little, because very few little boys wanted to buy a G.I. Jane nurse. And <laughs> Until much later when they, when they all of a sudden wanted to buy the plastic. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> At a much larger scale. Well, like I said, like I said the, the, if anyone out there has the G.I. Jane original, it's worth a shit ton of money if it's pristine. If if you played with it and it's it's all torn up, you might get some money. But no, a pristine one is worth a shit ton of money. 
The original the, Joe is worth a bit of money, too. But yeah, the, the, the original Joe's, and even to this day, uh, as the original G.I. Joe, um, and even it went through several incarnations in the 70s, but at least, I mean, then we have the smaller figures from the current task force. Yeah, and so. you know what? The, the little point of fact is, you know, uh, conscientious, conscientious objector never sold well. <laughs> Thank you. And uh, that's how we will end the show. I am your host, Ben. Chevy's Mr. Neil. And I'm from 910 Comics, 910CMX.com. I'm Thomas Revore. And as Ace Hunter once said, the good guys always win, even in the 80s. And I'm Arthur Hudson. Good night.